0: Hey, this is Web3Talks. The rule of this podcast is simple. We only talk with people who have hands-on Web3 building experience. So if you are a hacker, entrepreneur, or investor, you can get inspired by their stories, lessons, and fuck-ups. My name is Mac, and I'm hosting this pod. If you want to stay in touch, go to twitter.com slash web 3 Click the link in the pinned tweet and join our Discord community. Let's go. Today's guest is Evgeny Yurtayev, founder of Zerion. And Zerion is a product with a long, long history. Actually, when I was preparing the questions, I asked some friends about it. (laughs) One person said, could you ask Efgemi how many pivots they made <laughs> for all these years? <laughs> because the, you started in what, like 2016 or something like that?
1: Yeah, first off, welcome everybody. I'm uh, glad to be here. Thanks, Mark, for hosting me. Speaking of the pivots, there are definitely quite a few. I think we've stopped counting at a certain point. I think it became a, a bit of a, a nature of our company to pivot once in a while. Lately, we even stopped calling them pivots. It's more like we started calling it evolution. And I think that's really applicable to the whole crypto slash Web3 space because of the the way, basically, the environment is changing a lot and you have to adapt. And the space is very, very quick. It goes from like, oh, we're going to conquer the world to no one cares and we're all going to die type of attitude towards crypto. And you have to survive through all of that. And I think it was baked into the DNA of the company, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you started as a like tool that helps make fundraising through token sale. Then you transformed into a DeFi exploration tool where you could track, you know, what in assets have you invested in, what tokens, what farms and so on. Then you expanded to NFTs and other web free assets. And lately you have launched Wallet, which is pretty successful. It has already two, over 200k users. So before we start to get into details of all that, could you tell us like, you know, a few words, what have you been doing before crypto?
1: Definitely. Actually, like my history prior to the blockchain space was not as like filled with corporate career or anything of that sort. I was still fairly young uh, back in the day. And most of the stuff that I've been doing was actually experimenting with a bunch of different projects mainly like mobile applications uh, so for example and that's that was even connected to crypto as well like the, the first to an extent successful project was crypto trader which was launched around 2015 or so uh, was an app to to track like in real time for the prices of uh, ethereum and bitcoin and it got organically which is like myself building the ios app our cto alex building the android app so this app got over a million downloads in total and was used like, but I think it's still used uh, by some people. We just don't really maintain and watch it anymore. Prior to, to that, I worked for a bit as a software engineer at Google, but I pretty f- quickly actually quit from that role when really started focusing much more on the Zerian side of story. Before that was launching like chatbot uh, in one of the popular social networks, basically, when, when bots were not as popular as they are now. So that was really, really long time ago. And this was like the, the first viral project of mine, I would say. So that that's the backstory. So I would say the majority of my experience is actually coming, is actually in crypto. So I've been in the space since 2014 or so. And uh, my experience professionally is with Zerion for for the most part, even that we've been working on this for about six years now, if we count like all the hustle in the beginning. Yeah. And uh, what
0: made you start Zerion? What was, you know, the insights that led you to to do it?
1: Sure. So... In a way, reflecting back on this, a lot of it was inspired by the community, or maybe even Vitalik specifically. So that was back in Moscow in 2015 when when we first met Vitalik. So he, he just arrived for one of the conferences, and we've met him. And I was already inspired and read the white paper of Ethereum. And uh, basically, we've decided that we want to do anything in the space. We just saw that this is a big trend. I enjoyed it myself for like various of reasons so it was attractive for anyone who is a developer first off unlike bitcoin which was purely i guess financial but the financial aspect of it was also pretty interesting to me so it, it was an iteration of what bitcoin was offering with a bunch of different improvements and but obviously the the biggest one was ability to create your own applications including financial applications in this decentralized computer so that fully grasped me and then my co-founders and we've just after this conference we reconvened and decided that we want to build something. And this is one of the things I always tell new entrepreneurs is that they're always like (laughs) searching. How did you like find this idea for Zerian? And I always tell them that this doesn't really matter. So you just have to start working on something that you're passionate about. And ideas change a lot. And Zerian's history is, is a good example of that, how many pivots we've done. So ideas are not really worth anything until you put a lot of effort into them. And once you start doing it, you just realize that the initial idea was very, very little understanding of what actually has to be solved, what needs to be done to keep the company afloat, to keep the company growing. So all of that is a completely different set of challenges. So, yeah, um, that's how we started. That was like the initial push that we did. And we got into, obviously, at that point of time, smart contracts were really interesting. Tokens were just appearing in the market. So people didn't really know how the RC20 tokens work. We wanted to help other people build whatever they want to have, whatever ideas they want to have. And we were getting a lot of experience from that and people were getting the products out to test them out. So that's the origins of Syrian.
0: So you mostly started as like smart contract providers for these new projects?
1: That's right. So we were just out of school or like some of us were still in school. We were one of the very few developers back in the day who could write smart contracts and we Basically did whatever was out there. It wasn't even called Ethereum back in the day. It was called Ethereum Lab. We basically helped quite a few teams, actually, to get off the ground. So mainly in the ICO space, in the tokens, and also in some early experiments of DeFi, I would say, were like maybe CD5 type of applications, uh, where some of it was in the contract, some of it was in the back and more centralized versions of that. So that's how we started. We basically did whatever paid. We were you know, just uh, very hustly in that phase.
0: Okay, and, and does the Zerian that people know, the the tool that helps you to track assets across the chains, when have you started to do it
1: and why? Yeah, so this is, uh, I would consider the first pivot. So after the bear market of 2018, end of 2018, 2019, we, we just started to realize that it's impossible for us to build a moat uh, for the business in SaaS-like platform. So we didn't have a strong enough brand, every competitor. So anyone who launched an ICO turned into a consultant business and they were finding a bunch of new people who could write smart contracts for them. So basically, our advantage got quickly diluted and we had to do something about it. Basically, we wanted to continue obviously being in a space never really thought of quitting, but we needed to keep the company afloat. Uh, So we just combined what we have experienced so far. So we've been building this infrastructure to track all the different tokens on the Ethereum blockchain. And that was really handy because we just realized that at that point on the market, there were no solutions that would allow you to track tokens automatically. That was a big reveal to us that no one has ever built that. It, It felt funny that this is the most obvious thing and no one's really working on it. So we we decided to repurpose what we had in terms of the infrastructure for that specifically. And that's how, I guess, the version of Zerium being a portfolio tracker was born. Mm-hmm. And how have you acquired first users back then? <laughs> so when we launched, so that was the uh, end of 2018, like actually December 2018 or January 2019, I think, majority of our users and we had about I think less than a thousand users like in a month. Majority of that just came through direct relationships. So we, we went to San Francisco, we actually flew to San Francisco with pretty much very little knowledge on how to fundraise, how to build a network. We we just used one of the blog posts written by I think it was Felix from Set Protocol. So he basically outlined how to fundraise your first round. And uh, I took this as a a Bible of sorts. And we just flew to San Francisco. And we've been mainly speaking, meeting people who are working on something, crypto slash DeFi space back in the day. Some of them became our users. Some of them were... Telling, like their friends about it, and I think through Twitter, I think that's the, that was the second part of it that started to slowly spreading out because the the ecosystem was very small. Anything new was instantly featured. I would say in the crypto Twitter, especially during the 2019 bear market, where there's like a dead space, uh, essentially. So the first users, and I think what really helped in terms of the first, you can call it like first small exponential growth, was during, we went to the hackathon, and I see hackathon actually in San Francisco. And we wanted with a very simple idea of uh, let's build what Zerian does, but basically simplified such that, there's only one button to deposit into compound. And Robert from Compound basically featured that in Reddit, showing how like how easy it is to build something like that. And zero was along the lines there because we didn't really want to switch to work on this small project. We wanted to continue building something that is we thought more useful for web3 builders rather than web three citizens as we call them now rather than building something for everybody to get like the 6% yield on Compound. But still, through that story, we've got even more visibility on the market. And that's how we got the first, whatever, like 10,000 users maybe or so. Okay. And
0: Evgeny, you are operating in two very crowded spaces, because back then you were one of the first aggregators, but now there are many other solutions. And also in wallets, like wallets is a very crowded market with MetaMask, Rainbow, Coinbase, Trust, and many more. So I'm wondering like, how do you compete? Because you said like the first business you just decided to transform because you didn't have a moat. So I'm wondering like, how do you build your moat
1: right now? Yeah, this is going deeper in like the strategic thinking that we have at Zyrian. So, first off, speaking of aggregators. This wasn't the crowded space at all when we've entered it. We were one of the first, obviously, to start doing that. So the original vision, let's just put all the DeFi protocols under one roof, which didn't quite work. And I think so this aggregation story was, I think, it was partially right. That's how I would qualify it. But the aggregator space is not very crowded in comparison to many other places in the crypto space. So if you look at, say, Dexas, the competition there is Much more fierce versus aggregators. We only have few. It it really depends on how you count the aggregator and what you call an aggregator. But saying looking at folio, for instance, aggregators and DeFi slash NFT aggregators, there's only. A handful of players, so like less than five players. And the big reason for that is that it's really hard to build a new one that is going to be better than others, because there is so much work put into building the integration and the user base, basically, which means that competing in this space becomes for other players a pretty hard play. On the wallet side, I would also say it's interesting like on the surface i think it's a very crowded space because a wallet is a very sticky product and people whenever they trust their money to certain application they tend to trust it more and more of the time if they're not hacked or anything like bad happens they just develop this habit of using this wallet exclusively but i do think that we have the bullets bullets were coming in the waves in a way so we had the first iteration of wallets, like say i don't know like for the og people here so mist or like ethereum original ethereum wallets which were completely (laughs) missing the whole ux point it was just it it was still usable but it was really hard for obvious reasons then we had more simplified wallets i would put im token or trust wallet in this category so these are primarily meant to be storing tokens and that's all about them and there's not much you can do else and they're very stagnant in terms of the iterations and building out new things that people actually want from a wallet and only recently i think it's becoming pretty clear what is it that the wallet looks like for the web3 space and this is where we are taking our shot so in the web3 wallets as we can call them there there's not much competition so there's only a few established players like i guess metamask and coinbase wallet that are doing work in that direction. And there are us and Rainbow in a way, and maybe a few other small ones like Tally or Rab working in this space. But in reality, like you don't have too much of a choice uh, right now for a really good Web3 wallet. So we are building one that we think that's going to be a massive, exciting space. And the wallet is, to me, an ultimate point of aggregation for the Web3 user base.
0: And why do you think there are not so many wallets? Because for me, like I could maybe mention more like when I think about it right now, I don't think I know more than like fifteen wallets overall. And I have not used all of them, obviously. So so I'm wondering like why there are not so many wallets? Is it so hard to build them or is there any other reason?
1: I think it's very hard to scale them, to find the user base, because your wallet has to be different. I think that the biggest way for bullets in terms of going to market was integrate some certain ecosystem and be the first in this ecosystem such that you basically acquire the users from different dApps that are new and that are shiny that people want to use. So whenever there is a use case, say NFTs or DeFi, these use cases brought a bunch of new users to MetaMask and primarily to MetaMask because they were I guess one of the few wallets that were able to at least like usable in the DeFi space and NFT space. And another example would be Phantom Wallet with Solana. So they basically got all the users who were trying to trade any NFTs in Magic Eden or somewhere else. So that's been a primary goal for the wallets, like in terms of how they grow. But here we are taking a pretty unconventional approach we do believe now that the ecosystem is mature enough in a way so everyone is trying to build a wallet for the next billion users as everyone says it and to me that's a hard pull because it's like forcing the user and like making all these adjustments to the ux such that they would understand it but the ultimate problem is that they don't want it and they're not going to use it not for the reason that your ux is broken but they just don't like it they just don't need it but the moment the use cases arise people flock right into the use case. So the moment NFTs became popular, it didn't stop anyone from creating a seed phrase based wallet. And the moment ZK Sync is becoming popular or like layer twos are becoming hyped up, people are coming and they're learning everything about how do you set up an account? How do you make a trade, et cetera, et cetera. So basically what I'm trying to say is that we decided that we will be focusing on the use cases that are important for the people within the ecosystem. And this is how we're going to acquire users, not vice versa. So we're not going to be forcing people to join Zerian for whatever reason, because it's just better in terms of the UX. But we want to build for the use cases first. And next, the users would come like after these use cases when it's time.
0: Yeah, this is very true when it comes to these users coming. I had friends who were not technical at all, and they learned like how to buy crypto, how to send it, how to set up a wallet, how to use wallet, how to bridge their assets to L2 because they wanted to make money. And someone told them, Oh, this is going to the moon. It will make 10x. So the motivation was strong enough to jump over these UX hoops that, that they had on the way. And so could you share some examples of the use cases that you are focused on?
1: Yeah, definitely. So obviously we have these big trends like DeFi, and this is the primary, I guess, use case that was bringing Xerian users in, when, in the times of being a portfolio tracker and DeFi aggregator. And I think that's still going to be a big portion of that. So I think going too deep into very specific primitives, I don't know, derivatives, futures, whatever, it's getting too complex for any user to grasp. So we're not going to focus on that, but largely on the whole DeFi idea. I think it's still there. It's not going anywhere. Earning yield on your assets is a very important thing. Staking is a very important thing as well and not going away. So that's something we, we are focusing on in, in terms of support, at least on the tracking side and sometimes on the action side as well. Then we obviously have these smaller, but still very important trends in my view, the DAOs and governance in, in general, even though it didn't get a lot of Traction. So people are having hard times, obviously, following everything that is happening in every governance forum. So like, even for me, going to any, whatever, like, Ave forum and understanding any, every proposal is just impossible. Like, I don't have time for that. But at the same time, experiments that are happening with DAOs, the multisigs, just basically all the, operational part of it as, are very exciting. So we're obviously using multi sigs at Zerian quite a bit. That's very handy. Obviously, that's much more secure than storing funds on FTX. So that part of it, so governance plus, I would say collaborative management of money is pretty interesting. So that's where we're looking at. And I would also call out music NFTs just for the fun of it. So we've been doing a few collaborations recently and planning to do more of that. So Z- music NFTs are supported in Zerian. It's just a fun piece to it, but I just wanted to highlight it one more important trend is on the identity part. So I think the wallet is becoming increasingly important piece of your identity. So your all the things that you sign and all the things that come to your wallet, all that tells a story. So we're actually building a section within the wallet that would show all the identity pieces associated with this particular wallet, such that you can first at least understand what's there and also act on it later. So say like DNS, domains, membership card, your invites or tickets to conferences or pull ups. everything is part of your identity. So we're making a place for that too.
0: I would say that like your NFT features are pretty interesting because you have these notifications when the floor price goes down or goes up. I've seen something like that. So it was pretty handy. And my impression from Zyrian was that it's like a wallet for more advanced users. It was easy to use, but like the features were not for a person that just created their first wallet. It was more like for someone who can really use all these features. Is it correct?
1: Yeah, this is right. We just feel that the philosophy behind the product is that it should scale with your experience. So we're building a product that works equally well. I mean, equally is probably the, the wrong word, but it should be working and product should be scaling as your experience in Web3 scales. So for the new user, we're making it such that it's not confusing. It's like providing you the same functionality in the same and probably even more level of detail than any other wallet out there. But... As you use, the wallet continues to work through, not stopping you from exploring, not stopping you from entering or finding alpha and and things like that. So that's why we've decided to call it not advanced users, but Web3 citizens. And to me, that's a pretty big difference because advanced users is judging by your level of experience versus Web3 citizen is more self-defining. So I can be very new, but if I agree with the thesis of Web3 space, and and that there are various reasons why I can be agreeing with that, maybe I'm coming from the governance, maybe place, maybe I'm coming from just my interest in who controls and censors the music production, or that can be maybe I don't like my government to be controlling all the money flow. So these are all different reasons why you can agree with the thesis of, of Web3, and that's what we call Web3 citizens. So And we're building a world for them. Yeah, it,
0: it makes perfect sense. And the wallet is multi-chain. So like, how have you made it work?
1: So that is actually not as complicated on the surface. So we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. So we're reusing the open source components for generating the keys, basically, and making them compatible with other chains. I think the hard part for us was to do a lot of the work on top of it. So how do you show all transactions that you've done in every blockchain through this wallet? And that's the hard part, but this is working on our side. So we just released some time ago, multi-chain history. So you'd see all the transactions that you've ever done across every chain we support currently. And we'll be adding more chains as well to the Zirian wallet mix. So in the ideal world, we think of it as like, all of your experience, sorry, all of your like activity should be visible within Zirian.
0: Yeah, and I've seen that you can easily import a MetaMask. I mean, easily in the sense that you give like a whole guide, how to do it and so on. And I was thinking that it can be really this web-free light bulb experience, since you understand that your money is not in a wallet. a pretty misleading word, wallet, because you typically have money in the wallet, but like, Wallet is more like a key to the money that's on the blockchain. This ability to, to import wallet. Obviously you can import any wallet typically anywhere, but like the fact that you bet on moving these people from MetaMask, which is pretty shitty, to be honest. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, 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 so I, I'm very happy that you do it. And I'm wondering like why you haven't tried to do the Chrome extension
1: battle with MetaMask. So first off, on the extension, this is coming. So this is some alpha for the listeners. So it's actually already in the alpha stage and we've done the audit. So basically it's working. I'm already using it myself and some of the team members already migrated as well. We're starting our beta test pretty soon. And uh, I think it would probably be even this week for the initial like beta test. Right? So if you are interested, just uh, jump over to our Discord and join the beta testing community there so you can uh, get your hands on the Zerian extension. And the philosophy of the extension products is very similar to what we have for the mobile wallet. So it's going to be, first off, obviously local in the sense that the keys never leave the device or anything. It's going to have all the features of Zerian what people love about it. So, the history of transactions, all the portfolio tracking, NFTs, all of that is going to be part of the experience. And obviously, it's going to work with every DApp. In terms of the good things, it works really fast. The signing flow is, I think, three times or so faster than MetaMask, just in terms of showing up the pop up and signing a message itself, as well as you don't have to switch the network. So, we automatically find the network that the DApp is using. So, then we switch it for you. And that's going to make a difference for them. And then we're adding, kind of I don't know if you've seen the recent trend on the security side of things. So if you're trying to sign a transaction. So I'm using Fire, for instance, a Fire extension to help me understand what's going to happen with my money, what kind of tokens are going to come into the wallet and simulates the transaction basically to show you what's going to happen to the state of your wallet. And we're creating similar experiences right within the extension. So it's going to be part of the whole signing flow as well. So working on the security aspect of using Web3 on a daily basis basis too so it's on the extension so stay tuned for that it's coming early next year i think like the official release is going to be there and speaking of the light bulb moment i wanted to comment quickly on this i think it's important that no one has really used it in a way so it's i think people obviously who are new to the space assume that this is how it works in web 2 whenever you create anything it just like sticks with the product and owned in a way by this particular application but reality is different and that's why we're in web3 in the first place you're not locked into any kind of particular product you can switch you can choose the interface that works better for you so we're putting our bets on this and we do think that it's creating a pretty amazing user experience and i think similar happened with for example email applications so they became better and better over time even though the protocol stayed the same so I think a very similar thinking applies here. So that forces the wallets to compete actually on the UX level to make it better for the user, not to lock people in and then monetize them aggressively without any option to quit. So I do think that people would understand this more and more. As more people understand Web3, the more people would get it,
0: yeah. And I was speaking with Oriel from Zengo some time ago. Here we were talking about the fact that it's very hard to acquire users to the wallet because they need to trust you with their money, which is pretty complicated. And also, as you said, wallets are very sticky. Like you start. I still use MetaMask, even though I know that it's not the best wallet on the market. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe you can convert me when the extension is out. I will definitely try it out. So. I wonder, like, how do you acquire users? Also, you cannot make ads on App Store, as far as I know, and Google Play, like...
1: Yeah, we haven't done it. So we're not doing paid marketing at this moment of time. I mean, we we might in the future, but I just don't think the traditional methods of acquiring users work. And at least they're not as effective as many other ways. So an example would be doing a single NFT campaign can bring you way more users than like any kind of... (laughs) marketing and much, much cheaper. So for instance, we've released the collection Zerian Genesis NFT a while back in in August of 2021. And we got over 50,000 people claiming it in just a matter of a week. So we had a, a limited minting availability. And obviously people are excited about it, excited about this exclusivity part of it being early. And they're coming from all kinds of sources, sharing it with friends, sharing it with Telegram channels. Obviously they're seeking some of it some of them are seeking financial return in the future in some capacity obviously like there are farmers there, but that spread the word across and people just can stick to the product because they like it afterwards and it's a great acquisition tool. So similarly with the wallet, for instance, we've released the Zero DNA collection. And the Zirin DNA collection, I think this is—you uh, can count that like this—is maybe like half of the user base of the Zirin wallet was just due to this collection. Like the fast growth we had even during this down cycle was primarily th- because of this NFT collection that pe- got people excited. And uh, I think this is very effective. And we're using obviously continuing to use Twitter as a source of new engagement. We're obviously investing in our community. So we're from we're putting Zerian Connect, for instance, where we're talking about this updates. We get people. To engage in the Discord channel, we do have like community initiatives, etc. So that to get people excited to stay with Zirian, if not the product is like all red and you're not as interested in looking at your portfolio anymore, at least you can stay and be connected with other people. And on the Twitter side, we've been doing web3 wednesdays for example and that's our twitter spaces where we invite different guests and talk about future and so basically initiatives like that that are much more web3 native in terms of just getting the word across that's so that's what we've been using and i think it's working well especially for the people who are in the space
0: just a short break to remind you that if you like this podcast please don't hesitate to subscribe and give it a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use. Thanks a lot. And could you expand on this DNA collection? Because I checked it out and it's pretty interesting, as you have an avatar that changes based on your wallet activity. So could you expand on that and tell us how it works?
1: This is a very exciting collection, actually. So what we've done was, I think, one of the first attempts at dynamic NFTs. I think there are much more experimentation now with this whole narrative. And I think it's going to be pretty interesting. So one example, it's the Finilier project, which are like cute companions, NFTs that react to the price of different cryptocurrencies. So we were pretty early in that trend. So we've launched it in, I think it was, yeah, end of May this year, alongside with the wallet on mobile. And what we wanted to do, so we didn't want to create a thing that is completely representing the whole history, which is, we didn't want to compete with DGN rank or anything, but we wanted to have an avatar that represents userian story. And obviously there's a bit of a gamification slash education aspect to it, as well as the rewards component. So it's, I think it touches on many different things within the product, and we're going to be spending more time on this on iterating over that. It's obviously hard to get the stuff right from the first go. So I think there are many new ideas that we wanted to implement into the DNA. But recently, just a, an example of how we've been using it. So we've been giving people access to the lens profile. So whitelisted lens address domain for free, if you've had this Zerian DNA at a certain period of time. But later we wanted to do more quantification based on the levels of DNA you have. So say you've done a lot of transacting Zerian, you've done a lot of, uh, you've imported the wallet early. So it's been like a long time since that DNA is in your wallet. So these things combined, create your Zerian story, and we can use that to say, give out different promotion offers, maybe give more discounts, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, that's your profile. Benzyian.
0: Yeah. And like different part of this profile changes because of these assets. So if you have the most Ethereum, then you have one color of the hair. If you have most optimism, then you have the other color and so on and so forth. And there are like five or six trades that change based on the wallet activity. And this is very interesting, what you just mentioned, because like I'm at heart and the hardest thing about marketing is actually being able to reach the right people. You know, on-chain activity is very honest signal that someone, if someone makes like 100 transactions on Uniswap in a month, you know that he's like a pretty active trader because he wouldn't make these <laughs> transactions and pay the gas fees just for fun. Uh, so, yeah, that's <laughs> so, 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 if you are able to reach these kind of people, I start a new DEX and I come to Zurich and I say, hey, I can give them, like, help me reach your most hardcore users, but. I will give them like no fee trading for a month or whatever. Then it's like win-win story. So, so I wanted to,
1: to talk about that in the section later about speaking about like the social and basically the marketing slash analytics possibilities of Web three. But mentioning it quickly, so I think it's underutilized at the moment, or I would even say not utilized at all. So there are only very early stage companies trying to look into using that data. But I think it is underexplored and will be massive in some time because on chain analytics gives you a lot of information about even like all the users. And it's a feature in the bug of the crypto space in a way. So obviously, the privacy aspect of crypto is in Web3 is in a way non existent at this point. which is pretty unfortunate. So even though like we don't track anything, like we try to minimize any kind of front-end analytics on the Zerian side, it's still a lot of things you can tell from just looking at the wall and hiding that is a really hard job for anyone to do. And I think a lot of companies are looking into this data and I think it's going to be really interesting how we can be leveraging that in the future. So yeah, it's definitely going in in that direction.
0: Yeah, I think we don't have privacy in the sense that when you do on-chain transactions, everyone can see them. But on the other hand, like you can create wallet anonymously. like You can just send money from base or whatever and no one knows. It's like a masked ball. You don't know who is who, but you know what they are doing. Yes,
1: I think that's a good way to put it. And I think that I really like how it is done in the Web3 space. So the fact that you can enter without any KYC or anything like... That means there is not so much censorship or like actually no censorship in terms of creating a wallet and starting to use it. And you cannot just discriminate people by country they are from, for example, or how much money they have, et cetera, et cetera. At the same time, I think it does excel at Preventing the activities where people are purposefully doing something, say I don't know, engaging with a contract that is knows that the hacker was putting money into it or something. Then it means that it tells the story again. So this is what you can use to understand like the risk level that you want to take. So I think this is a very fair system of sorts. So yeah, it's about what you do, not like who you are, and I think that's good. Yeah, and
0: I know that devs can build on top of Zerion's API, so. Could you tell more about it?
1: So this is uh, in the process of reformation in a way. So we've had the WebSocket API for a while. We've been maintaining this as part of just the Zerine offering. We didn't really market it too widely because it wasn't the focus. And basically, we have numerous of apps relying on some capacity on the Zerian APIs. One example is Rainbow Wallet is using Zerian under the hood for the portfolio data for the, I guess, like for the history data as well. So there are other smaller, I guess, applications using it. Stakedower, for example, is using Zerian's API to also do the portfolio part of the things. And we are removing access to the WebSocket API, and we're making it much more dev-friendly, making a REST API, and that's the ongoing work, so we're going to be releasing a more, I guess, like, polished release of API, most likely either by the end of this year, maybe early next year, and it really depends on the use cases. But what we've seen so far is whenever you're not for your tracking, for instance, is not your focus, it's better you use some other solution that has it solved already. So integrating a bunch of these different sources is really complicated. If you want to have a full coverage of, say, all NFTs, all prices, all tokens, all DeFi protocols, it's very hard to get yourself. So Xerian's API is, is a good option in that case. And we've also seen some fund managers, so like active catch funds, who are doing a lot of trading to use the the API to do accounting part of things. So, So both on just like Taxes-wise, as well as aggregating different wallets they have because they have a bunch and they need to have a clear view into how much money they have in, in each wallet. So that's another use case for the Zero API. I think we, we envision these ones uh, to be the primary ones over time. So this portfolio value is the biggest benefit what we've decided internally for ourselves is that we do feel that settlement should be done on chain, so we shouldn't be interfering with any kind of in the transaction process. But everything that can be verified independently, it's okay that it's done in a centralized manner for the time being, because right now there is no real infrastructure that would allow you the same scale to build the same user experience. So yeah, that's why we wanted to make it public such that other people can use it too. And we don't see a big issue here. So... Could we return
0: to this part where this marketing and social part that we started with the last question? So could you explain what's your perspective on that?
1: One way to put it is email on steroids. So your wallet acts because this information is all public. You can quantify and, and cluster basically the users based on whatever they own, whatever they've done previously. And you could start basically doing marketing to them and it's already happening i don't think because of the gas prices and everything it was much more complicated but you can see how say on polygon there's a lot of spam transactions already and just like plain marketing drop you tokens so you follow like usually it's phishing actually not even like advertising as of right now but it's going to evolve and i think it's going to be become much more, I guess, like a standard way of reaching the users, of like just sending them some kind of messages. And in that capacity, I do see the wallet becoming your guardian of sorts, like your email client is shielding you from all the spam that you might be getting and only surfacing the most important stuff. I think the wallet's the role of the wallet is evolving in the same direction and we should be helping the user find what's relevant, what's not. So the wallet's like these surfaces where you can see the ads and you can filter them if you don't really want them at all, for instance. So that's, I think, the evolution on the marketing side but there are also a lot of tools who are just helping you do with helping you do this analytics side of things so we do this internally as well for our users so we know the addresses that have been connecting to Zerian and we look at their on-chain history and we understand different trends for instance like how many times people transact do they use what kind of DeFi protocols they use so that is all valuable to us in terms of say prioritizing integrations and prioritizing the UX so and I think for other companies it's going to be increasingly relevant as well so you wanna no, say you're running a DAP and a protocol like Aave, for example, and you want to understand what other protocols your users are and which ones you should be collaborating with. So that's very relevant for many people. And accessing that is, is going to be important and may, will make the whole space more useful too. And it might be also
0: more competitive in a way, just like I'm thinking about SushiSwap taking LPs from Uniswap and LuxRare taking users from OpenSea. For the user, it's a win because it's fighting for their attention. But for running business, it gets harder because if I asked any Web2 business, hey, please give me a list of all your users and all their (laughs) activities so I can target them. They will tell me like, man, are you crazy? But here it's like default. So I think it's going
1: to be hard for businesses, but users are going to win on that. Yes, but I think it's in a way inevitable. I think it just creates a different kind of market structure. It's a feature of the space, I would say. You're right that like in in the current modern Web2 world, no one wants to share their data. That's like the most valuable asset they hold onto. And especially say banks, right? They would never give the list of their clients. They would only give the bad people actually, such that they can share the list of people who do not pay their debts or something. But that's not helping the, the users. And uh, we see how the crypto already changed that for the win. And um, I think you can build the markets that are acting somewhat differently. So like you, you pay Ethereum for processing the transactions and settling them and not being corrupted in any way. So I think that's fair exchange. Uh, something similar is going to happen with more things, not just the banks.
0: I'm wondering, like, what was the hardest decision or trade-off you had
1: to make when running Syrian? I mean, the wallet in a way is a very hard decision. I don't know if it was the hardest, but obviously we've had a lot of different ways we could look into and evolve into. So we could stay more on the aggregation side. We could focus more on folio tracking. So wallet is going against many odds in a way. But at the same time, I think... We've been making these bets throughout the Xerian's uh, history, so we've been always going against the market. One example would be, so when people were unsure like how DeFi is going to look, and we've decided that we want to build an aggregator, and we want to build an interface, and other, everyone else was more building protocols. And every, that's the only thing people talked about. And we were like, okay, but for protocols, you still need interfaces, right? Like people would need to, to use something. They They cannot all go to either scan and interact with it directly. So I think that's a a similar decision from that sense. It was a hard one. We now are quite a few people at Zerion, and I think we're, in terms of quality of decision-making, we're growing as well. So yeah, it was good.
0: And you've spent like six years on Zerion. So if you were not building Zerion, what would you build?
1: I think I would build something in the Web3 social. So... I think it's more uh, than time right now to start looking into direct interactions between users because the user base has grown to a certain extent and people realize that the wallet is not just for storing money into it, but you can do all kinds of things with it. And I think like status was an original wallet that was forcing this narrative, but it was definitely way too early for people to realize that this is how it's going to change things.
0: Okay. We get to this like most traditional question of this podcast. So, it's, if you had a magic wand and you could fix one thing about Web three, what would you fix?
1: I would fix privacy. Even though it's it's very it's great that everything is settled on chain, but I don't see at the moment a clear path for private solution to exist within the Ethereum or just in general Web three ecosystems because the chains that are doing all the privacy groundwork they're getting a lot of scrutiny from the regulators and people are scared to use them for that specific reason. So there is no middle ground. So you either are fully transparent or like pseudo anonymous with all your history of activity on chain, or you going like completely anarchist and you get all the kind of labeling and claim uh, as like you're doing some terrorism or something just because you are using this specific chain that is fully private. So I think I would want to have this middle ground where we have the options to choose the different privacy levels for different wallets, for example, or for assets and actions that we do.
0: Okay. And the projects that you've seen, what were the most mind-blowing or interesting ones?
1: That's a good question. I think... Lately, I referred them to DeFi Alliance. So Alliance DAO, actually, Accelerator. They were doing Etherscan application, allowing you to find transactions by uh, using human-readable queries. So basically, you just type in, like, find the users who invested into this token between, like, this time and this time, for example. I think it's for Solana only at this point, and I'm not sure how relevant that's going to be for the near-term future, but I think this is a pretty exciting and interesting way of looking at things. In terms of other examples i mentioned fenelia already i've met the founder recently i think this is pretty interesting as i think that's going to be a growing narrative because nfts right now are in the state of tokens like erc tokens in 2018 because they don't have any utilities just okay you drop the thing and it costs something because some people think it costs this much money so it's only about how exclusive it is and it's very liquid but i think dynamic part is going to add more exciting things to it. So you can start adding functionality and these could be become actual passes to things that so you can start sharing information that is only accessible to the owner. And this like evolution of NFTs is also pretty interesting. So in the DeFi side of things, I w- last thing I would mention, I've been recently trying this out. It's from Stakedow. So it's the liquid lockers, as they call it. So that's, I don't want to go too much into depth explaining it, but they allow you to basically boost your reward, like LP rewards beyond whatever I think is available right now in the space because they, they do the liquid version of Convex. So it's it's pretty DeFi technical, but I think it's interesting like how far it has come from the beginning of DeFi when it was just like, say, staking and you get some tokens back. But now into compiling a bunch of different DeFi projects to farm yield across different one project, then another token from another project, combine them. And I think it's, it's interesting just to see.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's De- DeFi gets I maybe even more complicated than a traditional financial system because it's so easy to connect different products together. So you can create a really interesting things. They're also like pretty risky, but it's always, I have this attitude that if someone tries new things and everyone knows what they are signing up for, then I'm totally for it. Let's try something
1: new. That's a good part about Web3, I think. The more you try, the more you learn and you even get rewarded for that. I think I got so many airdrops just because I've been trying a lot of things early on. And I think it's good that the space is rewarding, pioneering and not being afraid.
0: Yeah, in some sense, it's, there's always this barrier to entry for a new user because they are scared that they might lose money, lose time, lose energy, whatever. But AirDrops, what they made is they incentivize the users to cross the chasm so they can just like try new stuff, contrary to their natural status quo inclinations that they have. So this is pretty interesting. So... I will have two last questions for you. First is where people can learn more about Zerion.
1: Yeah, th- this is very easy. So first, obviously, the website itself, you can go to the product. And if you have any questions, there is a support button there. We do feel that support in Web3 is uh, underrated. So you can always ask. Well, usually it's going to be well who is going to respond to you. So he's a, a real person. So he's ha- here to help you. And then I definitely encourage you to join our Discord community. So Abhi, our community head of community, he is amazing. And Gleb is there as well, our, our main moderator for the whole thing. So join them there. We're going to be dropping by there and the whole team is engaging there. Yeah, and obviously, last thing, Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. That's where we share a lot of the most exciting things. Alpha, some announcements where we meet people, events, etc. So go on there as well. Okay, so last question, Evgeny.
0: As we had this building-oriented conversation, today i'm wondering do you have any ideas for other builders that might be a good fit
1: i would mention helen from pearl we actually had the first web3 dinner in london just a few weeks ago and i think it was a very interesting conversation we had so, and a lot of cool people there so she was one of the co-hosts of that and they're building a, speaking about what three is about social things for web3 they're building an inbox for web3 called pearl so i think should be a great candidate to to speak to you. And I would also mention, I don't know who exactly you should be inviting from the dispatch team, but I, I we work with them quite closely. And this is, again, about this marketing side of things. So how do you send the messages to the people without them being spammy or anything? And we're working with them on a few campaigns and just working as an integration as well. So inviting, I guess, like Zach is head of their business development. I think my main point of co- contact there. So yeah, dispatch is a great team.
0: Okay, so thanks a lot, Evgeny. It was pleasure to learn more about Syrian, especially since this is like such a product that has been forever here. So <laughs> it's really good to understand the history. So
1: I will be happy to try it. Thank you, Mark, and uh, thanks all the listeners. Glad you're here.
0: So this is almost the end, but if you like this episode and don't want to miss the next ones feel free to subscribe. If you liked it a lot, I'd be personally grateful if you could give us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use. Thanks to these ratings, more people can learn about web-free talks, and it's really important to me. That's all for today. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.